0: Welcome to AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association with Chief Operating Officer
1: Kyle Longton. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. Enjoy the episode.
2: Welcome to another episode of AFSPA Talks. This is Kyle Longton, and I am coming to you with a a solo intro today because we've got a jam-packed episode. We are continuing our dive into Medicare with a discussion of how TRICARE, the Federal Employee Health Benefits Program, and Medicare work together. This episode, we hope, will provide a brief overview of the many questions that we receive about these topics and how the three programs work together. So joining us for some background on Medicare is... AFSPA CEO Paula Jacob, and she should be familiar to all of our listeners, so I'm not going to spend much time on her bio except to say that she is a recognized subject matter expert on federal benefits, and she regularly teaches a course on Medicare and the FEHB for the Foreign Service Institute. Our main guest today is Dr. Christine Hunter. Dr. Hunter brings over 35 years of a leadership experience to her current board and advisory roles supporting healthcare quality, insurance, professional development, and senior housing. She proudly serves as an independent board director for WPS Health Solutions and Navy Mutual Aid Association, delivering comprehensive health and life insurance products for military, veterans, and seniors. In her local community, she's an active member of Rotary and serves on the board of Falcons Landing Retirement Community. So Dr. Hunter has a long history of distinguished service in federal health programs. On active duty in the Navy, she rose to the rank of Rear Admiral with responsibility for direct healthcare delivery, health system operations, and health plan management. Upon completing her military career, Dr. Hunter joined the U.S. Office of Personnel Management as Chief Medical Officer for the Federal Employee Health Benefits Program. Dr. Hunter is a distinguished alumna of Boston University, where she earned her undergraduate and medical degrees. She remains engaged in higher education as a member of the Boston University Trustees Advisory Board, as well as Dean's Advisory Boards for the Schools of Medicine and Public Health. She is a Governance Fellow on the National Association of Corporate Directors, a Master of the American College of Physicians, a 2011 ACP. Lauréate awardee and the recipient of numerous military awards. Today, she also continues serving to support quality health outcomes for all Americans as co-chair of the National Committee for Quality Assurance or NCQA and their Committee on Performance Measurement. So, Dr. Christine Hunter, welcome to AFSPA Talks.
1: Thank you, Kyle. It's nice to see you again. I'm Paula, delighted to be with you this afternoon and talk about this important topic.
2: We are excited because we get questions about our, our, our main topic for today with Medicare, TRICARE, and FEHB and how they work together and how people can make the decision. Those questions come up quite a bit. Um, and before we get to the specifics there, though, um, Dr. Hunter, I'm wondering um, if we can take a little bit of time to, to delve into your background. we like to have experts here to help educate our listeners. And I really feel like we've hit the jackpot today um, in having you join us. And um, I'm going to let you a- actually ask you to tell us a little bit about why I'm saying that. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your your service in the Navy?
1: So thank you, Kyle. Yes, I would be an expert user of all of these programs uh, and you'll get to why. So uh, I started my professional career in the Navy, uh, like many people, looking for a scholarship to go to school, Um Went to medical school on a Navy scholarship and never once expected I would stay more than the four years required to pay that back. And a little over 30 years later, I got out uh, as a two-star admiral. Um, So needless to say, it was a great career and I have a lot of opportunities. I started out with a clinical medicine. I was one of the first women to serve on Navy ships, which certainly seems not so remarkable now that women serve in all roles in the military, but in those days, it was path-breaking. And I went on to train in internal medicine and hematology, oncology, enjoyed the clinical practice until I got restless and wanted to be in charge. Uh, and then I moved up to leadership. And uh, I was fortunate to have uh, roles as the commanding officer, and we called that this the, the CEO equivalent, commanding officer, or CEO of the Naval Hospital in Bremerton, Washington, and the Naval Medical Center in San Diego. I also served as the U.S. Pacific Fleet Surgeon uh, and had several other roles in policy making at our headquarters, the Navy Bureau of Medicine and Surgery. And I think you want to talk about my role at Tricare, right?
2: I think yes, because I think that makes you a little bit more than an expert user. Um, because as I as I understand, you were the deputy director of the Tricare Management Activity. So, uh, what does that mean? What did your position entail?
1: So, thanks. In my last job on active duty, and I retired in 2011, I was the deputy director of Tricare Management Activity, as you've said. And that job was the executive that had the day to day running of the Tricare program and. Most of your listeners who are tuned in on this topic will be familiar with TRICARE is, but uh, if they're not, TRICARE is the program that offers health benefits for military family members and retirees. So some of them, of course, will get care in the military hospitals, but when they need to go outside and use other hospitals, clinics, laboratories, et cetera, that care is paid for under the TRICARE program. And we served at that time 9.6 million people in TRICARE.
2: So, and that you mentioned you retired in 2011, um, and that wasn't the end of your federal service. Um, you then went on to become the chief medical officer at the Office of Personnel Management. Um, can you tell us a little bit about coming to that position and, and some of your work in that position at OPM?
1: Sure. So that was the end of my uniform federal service. But, you know, I liked the government. I enjoyed all, all my time in the military. And I was excited about the opportunity to explore what might be next. And, and just at that time, the U.S. Office of Personal Management was um, recruiting for their first comprehensive chief medical officer, and they were also starting up some new plans that would ultimately be offered under the name multi-state plans for the first uh, Obamacare exchanges. So there was an opportunity to work with the FEHB, which had such a great reputation, the Federal Employees Health Benefit Program, And there was also the opportunity to try something new. Um, So both were appealing. uh, And as it turned out, I I stayed eight years in that role and loved every day of it. And some of the things that I'm most proud of are uh, what what we did with expanding uh, certain types of benefits for for people who need them, um, particularly uh, Autism and obesity treatments are two things that come to mind, but there were many others. Uh, And also uh, putting in place the plan performance assessment, which rewards plans that help people uh, achieve their health goals, like control of diabetes or receiving needed preventive services. And I know that uh, AFSPA and the Foreign Service Plan do a great job on helping people achieve their health goals.
2: And I promise this wasn't even in our outline, but I'll, I'll refer our I'll listeners. That's <laughs> yes, right. That's right. But I'll also refer our listeners back to um, earlier episodes where we've talked about some of those initiatives, particularly as it relates to, to diabetes. Um, please check the feed for my conversation back in October with, uh, about Lavongo. But um, I think also that, that plan performance assessment that you mentioned, we haven't done an episode on that. I'm sure um, we probably will get to that this year, but some of the focus in that plan performance assessment uh, I should say a big focus there is on quality measures. And that is something that you have taken into your continuing career now that you've retired from um, civilian federal service. And i wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you've been doing since you left OPM, um, particularly your work with the National Committee for Quality Assurance, um, as well as with WPS.
1: Absolutely. Well, firstly, my most important role since I've retired is being a grandmother,
2: Um
1: But I I wanted to stay professionally active, and there are are several ways in which I do that. And the National Committee uh, for Quality Assurance, their Committee on Performance Measurement, is a role I've had actually coming up on 10 years now as the co-chair of that committee, And we rely on technical expert panels to help us develop the HEDIS metrics, but we're the final gate, the final pathway to say whether a measure goes into the HEDIS set. And HEDIS is an acronym that used to refer to healthcare employees' data and information set. It's been shortened just to HEDIS now, uh, but it includes a set of measures that that are used to accredit health plans and that are used to assess the quality of care delivered under the auspices of health plans. Uh, And as you said, it includes things like uh, control of diabetes, control of hypertension, whether people receive needed immunizations and lots of health screenings. And then you also mentioned WPS. Yeah. WPS, another acronym, uh, Wisconsin Physician Services that has now become just WPS. And they are the third-party administrator, the the company that pays the claims for Tricare for Life on behalf of the Department of Defense. And they also pay Medicare claims in about seven or eight states. And so um, I have had uh, plenty of experience now, uh, seeing how the claims payment side works and how benefits are coordinated.
2: Excellent. Um, so, thank you, and and um, th- also thank you for running through all of this for your for your service, but also for proving that all of this can be done while also raising a family, as you mentioned. Um, grandmother being your your most important role. Um, thank you for sharing that with us as well. Right, so, you've had a leading role in running both TRICARE and FEHB programs, and you've utilized both programs for your own needs, as you mentioned um, at the top of the episode, I'd like to move on to the third program for our discussion, sort of our theme for the month, which is Medicare. So I'll ask you to take a quick break, Dr. Hunter, um, and I'm gonna turn to Paula here. Um, We've talked about the Medicare program before, um, but in case people are, are just tuning in for this episode, they missed our past episode with the overview of Medicare, Paula. Um, can you help us set the stage? Can you give us a high-level overview of the different parts of Medicare and, and what each one covers?
0: Sure. Glad to do that, Kyle. And thank you, Dr. Hunter, for that that excellent summary of everything that you have accomplished. And I also want to personally thank you for your service, not only in the military, but I know I relied a lot on you when you were Chief Medical Officer at OPM. And we, I think we got a lot done to, together. So thank you very much for that. As far as Medicare goes, well, Medicare was established originally in 1965, which was back then it was really huge to have an actual public program that was devoted completely to healthcare, and it is it provides um, hospital and medical coverage to Americans who are age 65 and older. Now it includes some some other populations such as those with end-stage renal disease and things like that, but it is primarily focused on our older population. There are really four parts to Medicare. Medicare Part A covers inpatient hospital costs as well as some very, very limited skilled nursing services. Generally, Medicare Part A is free to most people who have worked, and they have already paid that through their payroll taxes. Medicare Part B is the medical insurance, and this is where you'll find coverage for doctors' visits and labs and imaging, more like that. Medicare Part B, there is a premium attached to that. It's a monthly premium, and it actually does vary based on your income. Now, for this year, for 2022, the standard Medicare Part B premium is $170.50. And then anything additional would be added to to that as it pertains to your modified adjusted gross income. Um, If you are above a certain amount that you pay as an income-related monthly adjustment amount known as IRMA. IRMA. Now, the FE... The FEHB program itself does not require federal annuitants to have Medicare Part B, but TRICARE does. And Dr. Hunter, I'm sure, will explain that and get into more detail about that later in the session. The third part of the family is Medicare Part C, and that is commonly known as Medicare Advantage Plan. And this is a different approach. This actually provides comprehensive options from private sector companies that Medicare has approved. This also requires enrollment in Parts A and B, and there may very well be an additional premium depending on the Medicare Part C plan that one chooses. The last member and the newest member of the Medicare family, I call it a family, is Medicare Part D, and this is the prescription drug benefit. There is also additional premium attached to Part D, and it is also based on that modified adjusted gross income. If you're a private sector, I would talk about supplements or Medigap plans that are also available to help cover the coinsurance costs and the other costs that Medicare does not cover. These are offered primarily, of course, to private sector retirees, who, unlike federal annuitants, are unable to take their health plans into retirement with them and have to rely solely on Medicare. So uh, it's great to be a Fed. That's what I, I already say, because, yes, because um, Feds really do enjoy a wonderful benefit, well-deserved um, because of their long service.
2: Excellent. I just, I want to mention that that Um, Those Medicare Part C or those Medicare Advantage plans, um, you probably hear a lot about those for our listeners who are eligible. You hear a lot about those by mail, on TV, radio, et cetera, um, toward the end of every calendar year. Um, And you're starting to hear more about them within the federal program. And we are planning an episode um, to come out later this month about Medicare Advantage plans, particularly those in the federal program. So please stay tuned and look for that in uh, your feed coming up later this month. Um, now we've heard Paula thank you very much for for going through the the options in the different um, parts of Medicare and I want to turn back to you Dr. Hunter because you gave a, a brief explanation of Tricare earlier and and how it works for those who are enrolled. Um, but are there options under tricare? Uh, yeah
1: yes, there are. So if you're under age 65, you have, in most cases, two options, and I say in most cases because it's a little different if you live overseas. Um, but domestically, there is a choice between Tricare Prime and Tricare Select, and Tricare Prime is the HMO plan, and Tricare Select is the PPO. Uh, so one would have fixed copays, and one would have coinsurance. Is is the big difference. Um, and the networks are different. Of course, the HMO option has a much more tightly defined network. At age 65, things change. Uh, first of all, you become eligible for Medicare. Second of all, to retain your TRICARE, you must purchase Medicare Part B. Um, and if you do those two things, you have Part A and B, you automatically then are enrolled in what's called TRICARE for Life. Um, it has a longer and more complex technical name, but TRICARE for Life will work for our purposes. And this provides uh, both the drug coverage, so functions in lieu of a Part D plan, uh, and also a wraparound coverage, like a Medigap plan, supplemental coverage to Medicare A and B for anything that may be left over as your cost sharing. Uh, and as I said, people do have to pay for Part B, but TRICARE for Life does not have a separate premium as long as you've paid for Part B.
2: Excellent. Um, thank you. I think that that those two overviews of, of Medicare and TRICARE set a, a very good um, basis from which uh, to, to really launch our discussion today. Because as I mentioned early on, there are a significant number of people who qualify or at some point, will qualify for all three programs, Medicare, the Federal Employee Health Benefits Program, and TRICARE for Life. As they approach age 65, they're going to have to make some decisions about what programs they wish to enroll in or continue their enrollment. And those decisions have a financial element. Um, For Medicare Part B and the FEHB coverage, enrollees will have a premium. Uh, So people may wish to elect coverage in all three programs. Maybe they decide not to take Part B and therefore forfeit their TRICARE for life or may, and just stick with their FEHB, or they may wish to elect Part B and TRICARE for life while suspending, not terminating, but suspending their FEHB coverage. Um, Dr. Hunter, we'll, we'll get into some, some more details about your own journey a little bit later because you've been through this process, but to start from a general place, what would you recommend to others as they're facing this decision um, about which of these three programs to, to continue with?
1: Well, I get calls about this all the time, and so I've boiled it down, I think, to five questions that people should ask. And uh, for today's discussion, we'll go through all five, and then we'll go back to some of the particular elements of each of the five Uh, So if you are keeping notes or or recording, this this would be a a place to sit up and pay a lot of attention. So first question is, what do you like about your current coverage? Do you have a doctor you particularly like that you want to stay with? Do you have a hospital or health system that that you're using as part of your FEHB network, for example, that that really works out well for you? Um, And If that's the case, which program or programs in the future would make that possible? Not everyone takes Medicare. And so you would need to think about that. What about access to care in your network? Does your network give priority to FEHB patients? Do they treat Medicare in the same way? Uh, Would it be important for you to keep your FEHB as a secondary? Or could you use TRICARE for Life in that circumstance? So we'll get back to that. Second of all, who else are you covering? Remember, Medicare is an individual program, and you are making decisions now about yourself. But if you have a family, and they may include people of younger ages, and you're covering them under FVHB, or you're covering them under TRICARE, um, then you need to make decisions in light of the entire family's needs. And you particularly would not want to suspend your FEHB if someone else in the family is using it. Third, what changes do you anticipate in your life? Many things happen to us, both planned and unplanned, once we reach 65. Uh, Many people relocate. Uh, A lot of us hope we'll be able to divide our time between a colder and a warmer location. Many plan for travel extensively. And among the group listening to this podcast, many may intend to reside at least part of their time overseas. Uh, And all of those things may affect your coverage. Uh, And then based on your family medical history and your current status, you might think about what changes in your health you anticipate. This is never pleasant. Um, But if you know there's a strong family history of one condition or another, and people have needed high-end specialty care for cardiac or cancer or orthopedic or something like that, um, then you may want to consider where that care is delivered and if you'll be able to get access to it uh, depending upon the network you're using. So that's our third question, life changes. Um, Fourth question is what drugs you take or anticipate taking? And this is critically important. Remember, we said each of the programs, FEHB or Tricare for Life, can function in lieu of a Part D program. You won't enroll normally in Part D if you have FEHB or Tricare for Life paying for your drugs. But those two programs each use a formulary, and the formularies may be different. So the lookup tools are available, and not only will formularies may differ, but pharmacies may differ. You may have to transfer prescriptions between pharmacies. So think about drugs you use, think about drugs you anticipate using. Let's say you have a rheumatologic condition and right now you're taking oral medications, but you think you might need an injectable down the road. Um, Those things may be covered. Those are called specialty drugs and they may be covered very differently by the two programs. So it's important to look into that. And the fifth question is a combination question, um, but what sort of income do you anticipate as a, and what sort of protections do you want to maintain in the future? As Paula's already said, income affects our Part B premiums, and if you're having a significant income on retirement, of course that's wonderful. You know you can enjoy all the things that you worked so hard for, um, but you will pay quite a high premium then uh, for Part B, and that needs to figure into your financial planning uh, and if you don't take part b and you decide to defer that choice and you want to get it later you can get back in but it's going to cost you a premium extra a significant late enrollment penalty
2: and We'll we'll come back to the the specifics there in just a minute and i want to thank you dr hunter for those five questions, um, and and a, even if we stop the episode here, I think that would be excellent guidance for, for everybody listening, but we're not going to stop here um, because you promised us to dive in, you promised that you would dive into some specifics for us. So um, where should we start? Um, you, you mentioned, I think, the doctors and, and the network. Um, what should we look for there?
1: Well, if you talk to neighbors, friends and relatives, um, you'll learn that not all doctors take Medicare. Um, And I think it's a common assumption that they must, because it's a federal program and many pricing schedules and other things are based on what's called the Medicare fee schedule. But in fact, they don't all take it. Um, And if you are getting care from a doctor who is non-participating or opt-out, there's various ways that they may classify themselves where they don't take Medicare, um, then that could be a point in favor, for example, of continuing your FEHB coverage uh, so that you continue to have access to doctors that you're using under FEHB. Um, The TRICARE and Medicare networks are closer to one another. So sometimes if doctors are not participating in Medicare, it may be a challenge in them taking TRICARE also. So that would be something to look into. But the key point here is if you are very tied to a doctor or a health system, do your homework before you turn 65 and find out if they take Medicare.
2: Absolutely. That's that's an important factor. And I'll just refer our listeners to our previous episode on Medicare and the FAHB for an overview of those different types of providers that, that Dr. Hunter referenced of participating, non-participating in the opt-out or, or private contract providers. Um, so. You also one of the last things you, you finish with, um, Dr. Hunter, and, and this is an important factor for many people, is cost. Um, okay. And Paula mentioned earlier that the Part B premium is over one hundred and seventy dollars per month. And and you mentioned, and I think this is important for people to understand, that's an individual premium. There, there's no self plus one or self and family coverage. Um, so you, know, what, why would people think about this? Um, uh, Paula referred to this earlier, but. What could people be facing on the the Part B side?
1: Well, on the Part B side, again, depending upon income, and and it goes, you know, the government talks to one another very well in this particular case, and they know what you filed for income tax income. So when you enroll in Part B, and that's really easy, all you do is go online and type in your search engine, how do I enroll in Medicare Part B? And the site pops right up, super easy. The basic decision is, are you receiving social security now or are you deferring social security? Uh, Once you've clicked the box, it takes you to the right menu and it takes uh, less than 30 minutes well under. That's including thinking up a password and storing it somewhere uh, to create an account and set yourself up for part B. And when I did that, I got my card in less than 10 days. Couldn't believe it. Um, it it was it was such a slick process. But soon after my card came a letter saying, "And uh, based on your income tax filed in the prior year, this is what your Part B premium is going to be." Um, and it can be quite significant for the top tiers of income. You could pay as much as five hundred and seventy eight dollars and a little bit of change each month, and that's a person. Um, and so it's wonderful to have a great income in retirement. Um, you know, we all look forward to that, uh, but realizing that this, uh, this is a bill you are not accustomed to paying each month and you n- need to factor it into planning. Does that answer your oh, question?
2: It, it absolutely does. Um, and, and Paula, Dr. Hunter referred to this before that, that you can get back into, to part B if you don't enroll when you're, you're, initially eligible um, or at the special enrollment period that you talked about in our last episode. Can you remind us what that penalty looks like?
0: Sure, absolutely. So so anybody can get back, can go ahead and enroll in, in Medicare Part B at what they call a general enrollment period. And that is actually January to March of any given year. But understand that if you want to get back into the to to Medicare Part B or your initial enrollment, then they are going to tack on a penalty. And as Dr. Hunter said, it's pretty hefty. The penalty for me- Medicare Part B late enrollment is actually 10% for every full 12-month period that you did not have Medicare Part B. And it is not one and done. This will last you for as long as you have Medicare so the example that I, I give is say that you are 65 and you're tired and you decided you don't want Medicare part B, whatever. And then you are 68 and you decide your health is changing and maybe you like that extra coverage and you have gone arguably 36 months without Medicare part B. That means that they are in addition to their normal Medicare standard pre- premium and whatever the means te- testing is, they can tack on an additional 30% uh, to, to towards that premium. And that will last you for as long as you have Medicare Part B. So the, it's really, really important. I encourage people to really think about this Medicare Part B decision at either their first opportunity, which is at age 65 or at a special enrollment period which is the eight-month period after one retires or loses health insurance as an active employee.
2: So thank you. Um, it is uh, sobering information there. If if you do miss that the, those windows that may be available to you. So again, I'll refer you back to our, our last episode where Paula goes into that in a bit more detail and encourage you to keep an eye on the calendar um, as well as your pocketbook. But um, to... to to move our attention maybe a little bit from the, the one's pocketbook to maybe one's kitchen cabinet um, maybe where we keep the prescription medicines. Um, Dr. Hunter, you mentioned prescription drugs as um, a consideration when, when thinking about which plans to enroll in and continue um, once you become eligible for various programs. Um, you mentioned that both TRICARE and, and FEHB utilize formularies and um, but that means that they may cover different drugs and may cover them at different amounts. And that can be true among different FEHB plans as well. Um, What what more should people be thinking about when it comes to prescription drugs? We we heard a lot of news probably about 20 years ago about donut holes um, Mm -hmm. in coverage and things like that. Is, Is that something we should be worried about?
1: So first of all, it's important to say that either FEHB or TRICARE for Life used in conjunction with your Medicare coverage, make buying a separate Part D program unnecessary. Uh, And people get a lot of things in the mail that will convince them otherwise. So it's important to to know that and to be able to reference things that, that prove that to you. And neither program, neither FEHB nor TRICARE for Life, when used for your drugs, has a donut hole. So what's a donut hole? Well, a donut hole is a threshold above which you will pay out of pocket for your drugs. So in traditional Part B, Part D plans, the plan covers up to a certain amount. Then there is a gap in coverage. And then after a gap, a catastrophic coverage kicks in, right? But you are responsible for all or most of the costs in that gap in coverage. So they called that the donut hole neither your FEHB nor your TRICARE for Life when used for drugs has that donut hole. So for your federal service, you are getting superior drug coverage. That said, you might be surprised at the cost of certain drugs, um, especially if you have been someone who has lived near a base and you might be getting them on base for free um, and you never knew the cost. and we haven't talked about care on the base, but there will be people who uh, who go, I live right by Fort Meyer. It's very easy to go to the commissary, pick up your medicines on the way home, and, and you're all set. Uh, so, so then you move to be closer to your grandchildren, and there's no base, and you're using your FEHB or TRICARE for Life uh, for your drugs, and suddenly you realize that these drugs that you've been taking a long time, maybe things like hormone replacement or insulin, which we consider to be fairly common and Mm -hmm. generic drugs, carry quite a cost to them. Um, And depending upon the program you chose, you're going to have a greater or a lesser cost sharing. Um, So it's important to look into those, not only for drugs that you use now, but drugs that you anticipate using uh, and, and common drugs that, people need as they get older. So for example, many cardiac patients end up being on something to prevent small clots from forming in their heart or causing a stroke. Uh, And those medications can be very expensive. Many diabetes medications are very expensive. And I think it goes without saying that cancer, chemotherapies, and other things can be quite expensive. Now, not all of those are covered under Part D or under your TRICARE for Life or FHB. Some of those are covered under Part B. Um, but again, eyes wide open about things you may need in the future.
2: Right. And, and speaking of the future, you, know, you, you gave us an idea of some of the things that, that we should think about, take into consideration in terms of current diagnoses that may progress, family history and so forth. And while none of us has a crystal ball, um, we, we do have a sense of those things. Is there anything you would recommend um, generally as we're taking those those factors into consideration?
1: Well, the one thing I would say, and we'll, we'll get back to this when we talk about my own decision, but if you want the maximum network of providers, I want to cover all hazards, I'm risk averse, uh, I don't know where I'm going to live or or what my health circumstances might be and what my needs might be. If you want to cover the maximum network of providers, you should very seriously think about taking part B even if you think you could do without it right now.
2: Okay.
1: Again, because you know the penalty is you can get back in, but the penalty will be stiff.
2: Yep. Absolutely. So uh, earlier, you also mentioned, um, that in particular listeners of this podcast may have plans to live overseas or, or travel extensively and our, our data in many ways, back set up. Um, why should this be a factor though? Paula, um, how does Medicare work overseas?
0: Not well, so, uh, not at all, actually So, in full, full, honestly, Medicare doesn't, um, Cover anything overseas, except in in extremely rare circumstances, and but for for all practical purposes, one could say no, do do not rely on Medicare either A or B when you're overseas because you're not going to get anything out of it. Now, federal annuitants, of course, who incur medical expenses overseas, well, they have the FEHB plan. Or Tricare. Um, I can talk on the FEHB plan, um, and depending on the plan, they're going to have to file any of their claims directly with the plan. And this is whether they have Medicare or not have have, have Medicare, because that's the only coverage they're going to have. Now, depending on your FEHB plan, um, you're going to there may be special re- filing requirements for claims overseas. So, whatever health plan you have, I definitely would encourage you to look at section seven of your FEHB brochure. We're all the same as far as the, the sections go and really find out how to get your claims paid for any reimbursement you might need for, for overseas claims. Chances are you're gonna to have to pay upfront and then file your claim with your FEHB provider, but do not rely on Medicare for any overseas medical or hospitalization expenses.
2: Dr. Hunter, you referred to um, Tricare coverage overseas. Um, how does Tricare for Life work outside the U.S.?
1: So, uh, Kyle, there there was a recently a very great post by the Military Officers Association of America. Some people may know that as MOA on this topic. And they went through in great detail, and I encourage people, we'll put the link up along with the podcast, but uh, I'd encourage people to take a look at that. But but basically, when you receive care overseas, your TRICARE for Life converts to TRICARE Select Overseas. So, and that becomes your first coverage because as Paula said, Medicare is not covering overseas and you're covered by TRICARE Select at TRICARE Select rates. Um, you will pay out of pocket and be reimbursed by TriCare after you file a claim later. Uh, and remember, TriCare Select, we talked about that being the PPO style of TriCare. So there's going to be a percentage of cost sharing that will be yours.
2: Okay, very good to know. Um, and and Dr. Hunter, we will absolutely put the link to that um, post in our show notes. We will also include a link to a Page on the OPM site about um, overseas coverage for uh, FEHB plans and how those work. And and Paul, you referred to some of this before, but just to make sure, we talked about wraparound coverage earlier. I want to make sure we wrap around this topic as well. Is there anything else people should should think about with with overseas coverage under their FEHB plans?
0: Absolutely, and I and um, there definitely is. And I'm actually going to relay some of the information that OPM has said on their website. And I'm sure Kyle, you'll have that link up as as well so people can refer to that. Um, You should not enroll in an HMO if you are living overseas, uh, except when you are in a geographic location that's an HMO services like Guam or whatever. But as HMOs go, not, not, not good or bad, this is just the way they are. They, don't, they are in a regular geographic area. And trust me when I tell you that there are no HMOs in Botswana. So you really do need to go to a fee-for-service plan. Um, repeat section seven of any brochure will explain what are the requirements are for overseas claims, no matter what FEHB fee-for-service plan you have. Most overseas providers will require a payment upfront um, so you need to anticipate that and make sure that you get that claim filed with your FEHB plan to allow them a good turn- turnaround time. Our goal, of course, is, is always to have get the money to you before the credit card bill comes. Some plans do pay for overseas pr- providers as preferred pr- provider benefit levels. So that I- is very helpful. But in many areas, you're going to have to pay the difference between that. And I can't stress this enough is if you look at anything, you really need to look at how your health plan handles the plan allowance overseas, because that could really mean more out of pocket money for you. Some plans will provide assistance in locating medical providers. Again, you need to check with your health plan. And actually many plans will have relationships with second with second opinion pr- providers like Cleveland Clinic um, in those, those um, really extreme conditions. So you really want to look at how your plan understands the medical cultures overseas and handles that. Um, some plans will actually provide professional medical evacuation. I caution you, um, being the Foreign Service Benefit Plan with over 40% of our our members overseas, this is near and and dear to our heart. Some plans will will medevac you, but it is to the nearest hospital suited to provide treatment. So don't just assume that you're gonna be medevac back to to the states. Um, It it can be a very painful and costly assumption. Most times prescription drugs can be available if you live overseas through the plan's mail order, or home delivery program, except in certain countries. And OPM does say, and I'm very pleased to repeat this and quote this, the Foreign Service Benefit Plan has direct billing arrangements with hospitals in several countries throughout the world. And please contact us for more information about that. So these are just a few of the things that are, are very important for people to understand if they're even going to visit overseas. So they're prepared pre- prepared for any, oh my goodness, what happened to me over there.
2: Excellent. Paula, thank you very much. And, and that came straight from the OPM site, um, as we mentioned. And Before we go any further, um, Dr. Hunter, I am hope I can rely on you to walk us through which program pays in what order when you have any combination of these three programs we're discussing.
1: So first of all, we have to make the distinction about whether the person is retired or still working. So I'll assume the person is retired. Okay. And and we'll go through that. The order would be different if they were still working and maybe Paula can take that. Um, uh, But important things to remember if the person is retired, then Medicare pays first. TRICARE always pays last. (laughs) That is in the TRICARE legislation that they are the last payer. So if there's other coverage in between there, like FEHB, they pay next. Um, And Again, that's for medical claims, those that would be covered by Part B, um, and for hospitalization covered under Part A. Um, But as we said, the FEHB plan or the TRICARE for Life functions in lieu of your Part D plan. So in that case, Medicare was not paying, and you are relying on either your FEHB or your TRICARE for Life to pay your drug benefit. Um, So Easy to remember if you're retired, Medicare pays first, Tricare pays last, and anything in between, um, it depends upon what you have. I will say it works remarkably well. I've been on coverage for a few months now. We'll, We'll talk about that. And I was astounded at how great and timely the coordination benefits is.
2: This government efficiency at its best, it sounds like. Um, Let's make things a bit more complicated. And I appreciate that you threw this one to Paula. So Paula, if someone is age 65 (laughs) and continues to work as a civilian federal employee, but they go ahead and enroll in Part B and TRICARE for Life, how's that work?
0: So as long as they are working, then the FEHB retains primary payer on that. And then as Dr. Hunter said, TRICARE is always last. So, so it would be the FEHB and then Medicare and then TRICARE. Okay.
2: All right. I, I should know better than to try to stump either of you in the combination of the two of you. Uh, <laughs> certainly not. So I'll go to this next question. And Dr. Hunter, we discussed this previously and and no luck in stumping you on it either. So if a person delays enrollment in Part B, which we discussed a bit earlier, Um, Until after age 65, for whatever reason, um, they decide to enroll in Part B later, can they still enroll in TRICARE for Life later?
1: Yes. So it's important to say that the TRICARE for Life coverage will not be enforced for anyone who does not have Part B. So if you're still working and your FEHB is primary and your Medicare is secondary, um, even though you're old enough to be eligible for TRICARE for Life. If you don't take Part B, you don't have TRICARE for Life. Uh, So then later on, you decide, "Mm, that didn't work out so well, and I need it. Um, Or I just want it for all the reasons that we stated, I'd like to feel more secure. You go back in, you enroll, and you pay the penalty, whatever that might be, and you keep paying the penalty, whatever that might be. Um, But if you've done that, you can get back into TRICARE for Life. So once you've achieved your enrollment in Part B, then B as in in boy or bravo, you contact the DEERS support office. Now, anybody who's ever dealt with the military knows what DEERS is, but that's the defense eligibility and enrollment system. You have to contact them when you get married, if you get divorced, if you have a new child, you know, someone passes away, all those sorts of things. Um, and they their phone number is 800-538-9552. You can search that. And you submit part, proof of Part B enrollment. Uh, and once you send that in and they process it through, they will turn on, they will activate your TRICARE for Life benefits. So how do you know if it's been activated? Well, there's a website, and this may be one that people using TRICARE are not familiar with. It's www.tricare, the number four and the letter U, tricareforyou.com. And that is run by WPS, who, as we said earlier, pays the TRICARE for life claims. Uh, so it's a benefits administration portal. And you can go in, and there's all sorts of good information there, but you can also see if your TRICARE for life has been turned on
2: absolutely and, and i've had some opportunities to um check out that website that the public section there's there is a member only place where um enrollees can log in and um it, it is it should be very familiar and and very easy to use for anybody who's ever used a, a website for their insurance in the past um, but they can find all sorts of links and information there so we'll make sure to have a, a link to that also in the show notes um, now, Dr. Hunter, you mentioned that, that you recently became eligible for all three programs. Um, can you tell us a, a bit about your personal decision process? And you mentioned a positive experience so far. I wonder if you, you can delve into that a bit more as well.
1: Of course. Uh, so, so I have all three programs. I have Medicare A and B. I have FEHB. And I have TRICARE for Life. Uh, and uh, it's important to look at, you know, you may consider different FEHB options in retirement also. So uh, that decision will be left to open season, but OPM encourages people to shop around periodically. And as Paula said, if you're planning to travel overseas, that would be one factor in your choice of a plan. Um, but I'm active. I'm, I'm currently single I travel extensively and I spend part of the year with my family in Washington State. Uh, when I'm in Virginia here, I receive some of my care on the base and get some of my prescriptions on the base, as we've said. And and so I felt like at this point in my life, I wanted to keep all doors open. I'm not sure where my final location is. I'm not sure which doctors and health system will will be caring for me at a time when I need more health care than I currently do. Uh, and since I do travel extensively, I'd like to have some coverage out of the country and other things like that. And so I have kept all three um, and you know opm is very generous and paying a good portion of my feHB premium and so, um, that hasn't been as hard a decision as the taking Part B, which um, it is expensive, but I wanted to keep my TRICARE for life. So enrolling was very easy. I mentioned I just went online and Googled how to enroll in Medicare Part B. Uh, it was also super easy to set up the premium payments. So once I got my card and I got that letter saying, here's what your charge for Part B is going to be for every month, the next letter that came uh, was, and here's your first bill. And so you you basically go online and and just like you're accustomed to doing with many other bills, you can you can set up a automatic bank transfer um, for your Medicare premium. And after the first, I think you have to pay one or two separately. And then once that gets set up and functioning smoothly, it works just just like a just like a payroll deduction or an automated clearinghouse uh, from your bank. Uh, And as I said, the system knows that you have these different coverages. And so what happens to me when I get care, it really doesn't matter what I tell them at the front desk. Um, And and I've tried this. I've purposely tried to stump the system. So I've gone in with my Medicare card and my TRICARE, you know, military ID and mentioned nothing about FEHP. And this was for an eye appointment with an ophthalmologist, just routine eye care. Um, not refraction, but, you know, medical eye care. And and so medical eye care is covered under Medicare and, and TRICARE, um, not glasses and those kinds of things, but medical eye care. And so I got the care. And uh, about a week later, I got an explanation of benefits from my FEHB plan that says we paid the remainder <laughs> that Medicare didn't pay on your eye visit. And I said, but I, I didn't tell them I had FEHB. Then it, you know, the system knows. Um, and it's very quick. It's almost quicker than EOBs. I think it is quicker than EOBs were when my FEHB was primary. Um, because of course they were adjudicating the claim. But in this case, Medicare's adjudicated the claim, and the remainder belongs to my FEHB. And so the payment is more automatic and the explanation of benefits uh comes very quickly. So um, it's, it's worked out well for me. It's, it's quite smooth. The only thing I would say is with Medicare, you still do get a lot of paper mailings.
2: Yep. And and as a, as a cog in that, that, general system that you, you talk about that that is working so well i will tell you it works a lot better if you let your plans know that you have other coverages and what those other coverages are so i'll just put in a plug for that um you know when you sign up for medicare if you sign up for part b or part a let us know it, it'll help us adjudicate faster as you said um, and we will continue trying to beat the the paper eob's with our our processing um, dr hunter are there any additional steps you mentioned something about your id there Um, You know, is there anything else people who are are triple eligible should be considering?
1: Yes. So most of us who are eligible for anything within the military health system or access to bases, those sorts of things, have a military ID card that defines our status. Uh, And mine, of course, says that I'm a retiree and eligible for certain services. And that card expired on my sixty birthday even though the expiration date on it said indefinite.
0: Wow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you have to check. Uh, That may not be true if you have some of the newer cards with the computer chip that can be remotely reprogrammed. Um, But Uh, And approaching your 65th birthday, I still had the old card that was a laminated card with a picture, um, and that that expired, and I had to go in and get the new smart card. And in so doing, I had to (sighs) update them that I actually could provide proof of Medicare Part B.
2: Got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good to know. Um, one uh, sort of last program I want to incorporate at least briefly into our discussion, because we've had some questions about this, um, is how does one's enrollment in any of these programs, Medicare, TRICARE for Life, and the FEHB, how does that affect someone's coverage through Veterans Affairs or the, um, that the care they receive under the VA programs? Do you have any insight you can offer there?
1: I can offer some general advice, uh, but I I will say that, My interactions with the VA have not been anywhere near to the extent that I've worked in TRICARE and and FEHB and to some extent Medicare. So this should be backed up by thoughtful calls to your VA benefits counselor if you have VA services. But none of the programs that we've discussed affect your VA eligibility. And your eligibility for VA coverage is determined by service-connected disability. And each covered veteran is assigned in addition to, yes, this condition is service connected and it gets you X percent from zero to 100 percent disabled. You also get a VA priority, which affects your access to care and how to what extent you'll be able to get into the VA system um, for some of the care that you need or all of the care that you need. Um, The conditions that allow you to be eligible for VA benefits do change a bit from time to time. And recently, several conditions have been added to the list um, that may be related to remote exposure to Agent Orange if people served in Vietnam or surrounding waters. Um, And so uh, that is a a change. And if you weren't eligible, but you have certain diseases, you might want to check back uh, on that list. Um, even if you don't use VA healthcare regularly, but you are eligible for VA healthcare, VA is important to remember because, should you become physically disabled, it may help with home modifications. Um, and should you require nursing care, long-term care as you age, um, there may be additional benefits beyond what your other coverages offer. Uh, and so I would say the general rule of thumb is I wouldn't factor your VA benefits into this decision um, with the possible exception of if you are receiving VA health care, then that's a time to get some professional advice. Okay.
2: and And speaking of professional advice, I have one last question. If someone does speak with an insurance broker, particularly one who specializes in Medicare options, do you have any recommendations um, for, for those people um, when they're speaking with the broker?
1: Sure. And Paula may want to back me up a little bit here, but, but what I'll say is you you absolutely must let them know you're eligible for TRICARE and for FEHB, um, either or both. Because it affects dramatically what they'll tell you, and otherwise they're going to try to do things like sell you a Part D plan, <laughs> and and you don't need one, and they know that, and their software takes that into account. But if you don't bring that up, they may not think to ask.
2: Excellent, and and Paul, anything you'd want to add to that? Yeah,
0: I absolutely agree with that, um, especially you know bro- brokers are, are very knowledgeable, and they go through a lot of training. And um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for all the knowledge they can hold in their brain. But the the issue I have with them is that they don't understand. Sometimes they get confused at the federal annuitant. I mean, the FEHB program is really unlike any other program in the, the country. It is very rare that a retiree can actually take their benefits with them in retirement and the government continues to pay their premium and they get the same benefits. So they're, of course, when the brokers are looking at this, they're looking at commercial plans. They're looking at private sector where Medicare is their primary option. Of course, they're going to do the Part D and the Medigap plans. One of of my biggest consternations, I guess, is a federal employee does not need a Medigap plan. (laughs) You know, that, that is it's just unnecessary. So I, I second Dr. Hunter and make sure whatever broker you're dealing with understands that you are a Fed and you are a federal annuitant receiving FEHB pro, the benefits under the FEHB program as well.
2: Right. And and I'll just encourage our listeners, don't forget that um we at ASPA have some some experts, including Paula and and to a somewhat lesser extent myself. Um, who are happy to talk with you one-on-one when you're making your decision about Part B. Um, uh, we have been very privileged to have Dr. Hunter with us today, but she is not available to you to answer questions um, as you're going through the process. And so, you know, we can share certain things with you about about Tricare um, and refer you to the Tricare site, and then refer you to to Tricare for for further counseling and and discussions as needed. Um, so just please keep that in mind when you contact us with with questions. Um, I am for now out of questions. Um, so Dr. Hunter, I want to thank you again for joining us today. This has been uh, something that we've been talking about honestly for months. um, and I appreciate you sticking with us through that process. And I think it's going to benefit our members and, and even non-members who are curious about this for, for some years to come. So thank you so much for your time today. You're
1: welcome. And I hope it's helpful to everyone who's
2: listening. Absolutely. And Paula, thank you also for joining us and and lending your expertise. Um, we look forward to continuing our series on Medicare in the next week, um, talking about Medicare Advantage. Thanks again. FSBP members can learn more about Medicare and the FEHB on our website at AFSPA.org FSBP under the Helpful Links tab. For more information on TRICARE generally, please visit tricare.mil. For TRICARE for Life, please visit TRICARE, the number four, the letter U, tricare4u.com. This has been AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. All information offered in this podcast is meant to be educational. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own and do not necessarily represent AFSPA. Should there be any discrepancy between information offered in this podcast and official plan documents for the Foreign Service Benefit Plan or the other products offered by AFSPA, the policy provisions will prevail. Thank you for listening to this episode. And be sure to subscribe to Ask for Talks on your favorite podcast platform. Please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app and share your feedback with us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn.